we're the first truly digital native generation. So we were the first generation since birth to be able to FaceTime our friend, order a pizza, and text our mom all at the same time, yeah. which which is super interesting when it comes to consuming online content, sharing online content, this eight second attention span that in reality is just a very quick BS meter when looking through social media. We're not digitally adaptive like millennials. I'm Dean Jackson. He's Joe Polish. And this is the I Love Marketing Podcast. Hello, this is Joe Polish, and what you're about to hear is a great conversation I had with my 19-year-old friend, Connor Blakely. He's going to teach you a lot about how young people think, what they respond to, what they don't respond to, how to market to them. It's definitely not what you think. And he was also the youngest guy that ever gave a 10-minute talk at one of my Genius Network meetings uh, at 15 years old. He's now 19 years old, and this conversation was recorded in his condo in Cleveland, Ohio. It was done for my Genius Network podcast, but I decided that this would be so valuable to I Love Marketing listeners in case you're not a subscriber to the Genius Network podcast. I don't want you to miss it. So listen to it. I think you're going to learn a lot. Now, I hope you really get a lot out of this and enjoy this. Connor runs a company called Youth Logic that helps brands understand youth culture to further their marketing strategy. To successfully sell to young people, there are four secrets to doing it. Here they are. Remember to subscribe to I Love Marketing so that you don't miss a future episode. Visit idlovemarketing.com forward slash subscribe for more. Okay, this is Joe Polish. I'm here in uh, Connor Blakely's kitchen in Cleveland, Ohio. And we're recording this off uh, off our little smartphones, if you want to call them that. Yeah. So, Connor, um, for people who don't know who you are, how do you describe who you are, what you do? So, uh, my name is Connor Blakely. I'm 19 years old. I live in... Uh beautiful city of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I run a company called Youth Logic uh, that helps brands better understand youth culture to further their uh, to further their marketing strategy, um, online presence, and, and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So uh, we've known each other for what? Maybe like three years now. Met in twenty thirteen or fourteen. Okay. And uh, let's see, um, Cameron Harold. Yep. Met through Cameron Harold and. And Gordy, Gordy Buffton. Yep. yep. They, they made kind of the introduction. And back, you actually had you come and give a talk when you were 16 years old. I think you're the first one that ever gave a 10-minute talk at Genius Network uh, that was, was 16. I was 15. 15. Okay. And it was, I remember because I didn't know that I was giving a talk until like five minutes before. And I came up with this theory. Um I came up with this theory called the real ROI return on interaction rather than return on investment and how that can apply to your marketing strategy and brand strategy. And, uh, it, it would, to be in a room like that and give that talk at 15 was just, it was the biggest learning experience. It was, it was one of the biggest learning experiences I've had. Awesome. Yeah. And you've done very quite well since then. And you're going to be, uh, pretty much heading up a youth panel. 
at my Genius Network annual event where we've got um, really amazing young people, some under the age of 18, a couple that, but everyone's like, I think we might have someone 25, one of those old yeah. people at 25 years old. <laughs> yeah, um, one of those old ones. Yeah, exactly. So I turned 50 years old this year, which is interesting. And um, I still, I mean, I still think some of the same thoughts I did when I was 18 or maybe younger. I don't know. So I don't know if I've matured much, but <laughs> that, that being said, there's all these different um, groups from Gen Z and Gen X and Gen Y and millennials. And so you're in the Gen Z. Gen Z. Yeah. So what defines Generation Z and how are they different and similar to like millennials as an example to kind of start this off with? Yeah, I think that we could – if you ask a lot of people who are self-proclaimed Gen Z experts or generational marketing experts, they would sit here for – one or two hours and run you through all these generational differences when in reality, I think that there's only two that actually would impact any business. Uh, and the first one is we're the first truly digital native generation. So we were the first generation since birth to be able to FaceTime our friend, order a pizza and text our mom all at the same time, yeah. which, which is super interesting when it comes to consuming online con content, sharing online content, um, that this eight second attention span that in reality is just a very quick BS meter when looking through social media. So that's like, that's the very first thing is we're not digitally adaptive. Like millennials were digitally intuitive and digital, the first truly digital native generation. I can't trust, stress that one enough. Um, the second big difference I would say is worldview. Um, I, I hear a lot of older, I say this with air quotes, older people talk about, uh, how young people have never really had to eat shit or go through anything. And I couldn't disagree more. I remember when I was in the fifth grade, uh, fifth or sixth grade in 2008 hit, uh, stock markets crashed, worst economy since the Great Depression. My family went from living in a $450,000 house to living in a shack. And that had like, my friends couldn't ask their parents for like money to eat anymore. It was like, it created this, hunger and, and it made a lot of us realize that we couldn't see the world through these rose colored glasses that we, we'd previously looked through. So I think we really understand what it means to have the essence wholeheartedly of the American dream. Mm. And, um, that, that is everything from how we're con not only consuming information and sharing it. That's the first part. But the second part is, how how we are about buying things like when we're in the store what's attractive to us um so for instance if you're abercrombie and fitch why do you have your store with these perfect beautiful models where it smells like you're walking into a flower shop every time you're portraying this perfect brand when we all know that the world's not a perfect place that we can't resonate with something like that. So making those tiny adjustments and those micro decisions make uh, all the macro difference yeah. Oh, that's great. So, I mean, not a lot of people your age are like you, except maybe the ones you hang out with. Uh, and yeah. so, uh, or maybe they are, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what, uh, what motivates you to do the stuff you do? I mean, cause you're very much at an early age into hanging out with business leaders and entrepreneurs. I know you've done some work with a lot of really well-known, um, entrepreneurs and business owners, you know, people like Mark Cuban, you've worked with the NFL, you've done a lot of interesting stuff in your, um, long, long career. Long, long career. Yeah. So, I mean, what, uh, where did this drive come from? Was it your parents? Was it teachers? Were you born this way? Were you developed this? I mean, what, what did it come out of inspiration, yeah. desperation? I mean, what, what, where... a little bit of all of those things, yeah. which is interesting. So it, there's a couple different parts to the story. I always sucked at school. 
I never, like, when I say sucked at school, like, I just didn't care. I was like, why does this matter? I've always been someone who was, when everyone was going left, I'd find a way to go right because I thought that if I went right, then I could be different and be more successful. That's, but that's, I think that's inherent. I don't think entrepreneurs are made. I think they're born. That, that's a pretty unique opinion. And, but I, I truly believe it's a DNA trait. So that's kind of like the first thing. I was always hustling when I was little and stuff. And then I, I remember when I was 13, I almost got expelled in the eighth grade. Uh, for starting a homework selling network. Cause I was just bored with school. I was like, let me try to make some money. And I got called into the principal's office with my dad. I'd never seen him more disappointed in my life. Um, I got grounded. I almost got expelled. And around that same time, I got diagnosed with dyslexia, ADD and ADHD. So I'm like, shit, I'm a bad kid and I'm super de- like, and I'm super depressed cause I'm stupid in air quotes. I fit society's mold of stupid. So around that time, I Google ADD entrepreneur and I see this TED talk by this guy named Cameron Harold, um, who's the one who introduced me to you, Joe. Um, and it's let's raise kids to be entrepreneurs instead of lawyers. I remember watching it and like I almost started crying. I was like, oh my God, there's someone who fits society's mold of stupid who is still like everything that like I aspire to be. So I reached out to Cameron, got on a call with Cameron, totally changed my perspective and outlook on life. Um, and keep in mind, this entire time, I think that I'm the only 13-year-old kid in the world who is having these problems and is thinking like this. And I'm the only, keep in mind, I didn't even know that there were like older entrepreneurs who thought the same way that I did. So uh, fast forward a year later, that's when I'm at your event. I speak at your event. And it, for the first time, and I'm still super fucking depressed at this time. Like I, when I say depressed, like I would sit in the basement and literally just eat and play video games all day. Like I, it was the worst. And it sounds crazy to say, but looking back, it was the lowest point of my entire life. And my, like, I felt like I didn't belong to exist because it didn't fit society's mold of what a young kid should be. I didn't care about any of those things. And especially being around, I, I was a big athlete. I was around all these athletes who like get good grades and want to go to college. I'm like, Oh, this really isn't in the picture for me. So when I spoke at your event that first time, it felt like home. Mm. It felt like I was around people who were like outliers and like did things the way I did, like approach things the way I did. It made me feel like we're all anomalies, but like it made me feel like less of one to the point where I felt accepted right. somewhere. And that feeling of acceptance somewhere is what made me want to keep going. And it's not even the money. It's not even all this other stuff, even though it's nice. It's that feeling of being around people who want to take you and I'm going to take a Keith Ferrazzi new word, co-elevate um, all to a new higher level to make like real change. Right. Yeah. You know, th- th- that's something I hear a lot too. When we do groups, uh, it's one place where people feel abnormal in other parts of their lives, but they come to a place where they see all these entrepreneurs that frankly are, are aligned with their thinking and their risk takers and they're driven and they're, they're creative and all of a sudden they feel like they belong. I mean, the truth yeah. is a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of creative people, a lot of artists feel utterly alone in, in, in many parts of their, their world or their, their, you know, family circles or social circles. And that's why I think it's uh, really important to find the right genius network that fits you. Yep. Because I think any, 
any problem in the world can be solved with the right genius network. And, and, and what I mean by genius network, even though I have a company called that, I think of a genius network as a network of people that have skills, capabilities, and just are, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're different and more results oriented, yes. which is what entrepreneurs are. See, because no entrepreneur gets paid if they don't produce a result exactly. of some sort. You just can't. And so there's thought leaders that are running around that are academic thought leaders, but I tend to like result leaders because I like people that produce a result. <laughs> uh, we need a t-shirt that says it. it's coming on a Shopify store soon, but yeah. I couldn't agree more. Cool. All right. So, so we can talk about a million things, but I want to keep this one because we got a limited amount of time because your ass is driving me to the airport after this. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just, I had a quick stop in Cleveland on the way back to my hometown in Arizona and we decided to do this in your kitchen. Um, how can businesses create marketing campaigns that appeal to, to Gen Z's? I mean, cause it's a big, big group of, of individuals. So I don't think that you can create marketing campaigns that resonate with young people. I actually, I think it, it's a myth. I don't think it exists. All you can do, and what I do with my clients is sit in a big boardroom with a big whiteboard, and I just sit there and ask them questions. And then at the end, on the whiteboard, we'll have a bunch of adjectives. Mm -hmm. And those adjectives turn into their, I know you hate this word, but core brand values. No, what no, like, look, what look, does I, it mean? I know it, it'll, it'll make sense yeah. to some people. Right, first off, I like core values, and I like... Uh, I like David Ogilvy's definition of brand, which yeah. is the personality of your product. Of your product. So yeah. that's, that's exactly what we're figuring out when we're putting all those adjectives up there. And I say, we can't create anything that doesn't exist already. Well, all we can do is totally go in a new direction or find a way to take culture. Culture is relevancy meeting coolness. Mm -hmm. uh, relevancy to, meeting coolness. Culture is relevancy meeting coolness. And by the way, coolness is something that everyone can resonate with but isn't talked about enough because everyone remembers when they were in high school and weren't cool enough. Right. So, so it's a, like kind of a, a word that has a stigma attached to it, but it's one of my favorite words to use. How can we take something that's cool and relevant and ingrain it in culture? So we take those adjectives and what's relevant in culture at that time and just try to create something that people would look up to want to watch themselves. You can't, I, it's my belief, like if in these, this is for fortune 1000 companies, like you can't push something onto young people, especially that they don't, they, cause they, they have so many options with the phone in their hand. They don't have to give a shit about whatever you're saying and keep it. That's the first part, which is reacting to culture, which is essential for like the first kickoff of your brand. But what's even more interesting to me is how do we create it? So I talk about like the four cultural pillars that or right now. So if you want to sell shit to young people, if you want to understand young people, if you want to make your brand cooler, more relevant, here are the four things that very quickly will impact your business to an entire new level. Number one, esports and gaming. Do the Drake Ninja research and how that impacted culture. It's going to be bigger than the NFL, bigger than the MLB, bigger than you could ever imagine. You need to watch the movie Ready Player One and you need, and that's what the world is going to be like. Uh, so that's the first one. The second one is wellness. Um, it is now cooler to be healthy. Why? Because you can take an Instagram story of yourself eating a salad and put it out so Jamie and Sally in your math class know that you're healthy. Being fit and healthy is the new cool. Doing yoga is cool. Getting a healthy smoothie at Robex or Jamba Juice or any of these places is cool. Really dive into how you can ingrain the aesthetic of health and wellness into your brand or company. The third one is 
less of a cultural framework and more of an understanding of the new social economy, mm. which is it used to be cool to wear the new Jordans on the first day of school, but now it's cooler to go and take a selfie with DJ Khaled at Wingstop and then all your friends feel like they missed out on the experience and the opportunity. So we cling on to experiences that breed the ability to share to make ourselves cooler. And you know, it's a common thing. Everything has to do with our social, social stature and business. What we talk a lot about is personal brands and all of this stuff. You want to talk about a difficult personal brand to maintain and curate and keep. Think about being a high school kid. Like you have all of your social media, you have everyone judging you constantly for everything, putting yourselves in those shoes and then reverse engineering it and working backward is, is really, really, really difficult, but, um, it's essential to be able to do that. And the last pillar that I always, uh, like to include is the authenticity pillar. And everyone says this word authenticity, but no one actually knows what it means. They just assume it means to be authentic. I like to say it means to not give a shit. Like if you're authentic, you don't let any outside factors deter you from what your core values are and what you're meant to do. Mm. So you combine those four things along with like, obviously like there's certain things in culture that like you need to adapt to, but if you align with those four things, it's really hard to, uh, hard to mess up right now. No, that's great. That's great. You know, I was going to ask you what are the top things entrepreneurs need to know about you know, Gen X, Gen Z, well, actually Gen Z, Yeah. Um, even though you can maybe speak to Gen X, what do they need to know about people? No. Um, but I think you kind of covered a lot of stuff there. Is there anything else that you would, uh, you would say that people are just not aware of that w- they would be well served to know? I, I just want to reiterate the fact of in a world full of connectivity, that no young person will admit this, but there's no real connection. So give, give young consumers the keys to be able to experience things in real life. So I, I have, I tell all my clients buy billboards and do direct mail. It's not that billboards and direct mail, uh, are, aren't relevant anymore. For young people, everyone is like digital, digital, digital. I'm like, when everyone's zigging, go zag. My, my sister is 13. If she gets something in the mail that she can hold in her hand that says her name on it alone, she's freaking the hell out because right. she never gets anything like that. Direct mail is not the problem. The way that direct mail is done towards young people is the problem. I love that. I love that because, uh, I'm such a huge fan of the physical. And, yep. You know, it's in, I mean, it's, it's just obvious and we're merging a world of physical and digital. So, so I, we are mutual for John Rulin. His giftology strategy. I'm trying to figure out how we take that giftology strategy. If you haven't read the book, giftology, you need to go read it. If you haven't read the book, giftology, I'm thinking like, how do we take that entire strategy and tie it into a brand level? Cause that's like, for example, like Joe, like me and you have a great relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful for you. I send you something. Right. And it's very meaningful and crazy. Like, Oh my God, like you love it. You take a video, you send it to me, you thank me, you call me. How can brands do that with right. kids? That's, you have them for life if you do that. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and, the, and the thing is you can sell products or services, but when you can make it an experience, people, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's the feelings, it's the emotion, it's the connection, it's the bonding. And one of the most important things that you could ever do as a business owner is bond with your clients. And if you bond with them, you have a much different relationship in the same way, you know, it's dating versus marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So 
All right, so you're going to be um, you're going to be on my crazy panel at Genius Network. So, what can entrepreneurs that are attending the Genius Network annual event expect from the Millennial and Gen X panel that uh, we're going to be doing? So, first off, you're already a genius for attending the Genius Network annual event. It's it's the greatest collection of people that I've ever seen or been blessed to be a part of. So that first, and that's just not me kissing Joe's at like, that's like real shit. Like it literally changed my life and um, I'm excited to see how we can impact other people's lives. But what you can expect is a breath of fresh air. I feel like a lot of the stories that are told about young entrepreneurs and how things are done now are just a load of, a load of crap. So, um, I, I worked with Joe's team to kind of collect a lot of my best friends who were the top young entrepreneurs in the world, in my opinion, really in the world to kind of dive into, to a lot of these problems. So can't give away too much. Can't spoil the panel, but (laughs) just, just get ready. Awesome. Awesome. So what are the biggest misconceptions that people have about Gen Z? I mean, you've talked about some, but I'm just going to dig deep on some of these. So I, it's the, the laziness thing. I think, I think that's BS because of everything that we talked about with the worldview. And I really see that like, a lot of people, I, millennials especially, and I hate classifying entire generations uh, and generalizing these topics, but I really see this in millennials. Like They'll just talk about it. I think Gen Z does it. I think mm-hmm. that we're nitty-gritty in a sense of like how we get things done. Tony Robbins said, it's not a problem of resources. It's a problem of resourcefulness. Right. And I think Gen Z embodies that holistically. Um, maybe it's because of we were born with a phone in our hand the whole time. Maybe it's because of the, a combination of that we're digital native in our worldview, but we find a way to get shit done. And, uh, if you're going to the event, that'll, that will be one of the main takeaways is how much we use the things around us to actually get things done. Like I, when I was, you want to know what's crazy? When I was 14, Gary Vaynerchuk said, Hey, come shadow me at South by Southwest for two days. I had, $400 in my bank account at 14. Bought a plane ticket for $325. I've got 75 bucks left. If you've gone to South by Southwest in, in Austin, Texas, then you know you don't have to pay shit for food because all the events will give it for free. So take food out of the budget. I, I, I sleep in a 24-hour gym. Get this. I pay $25. I've got 50 bucks left. I'm sleeping in a 24-hour gym uh, because we couldn't afford a hotel room. And did you go with anyone else? Yeah, I went with my friend Max. Okay. I went with my friend who was also uh 15, 14, 15 at the time. We slept in this 24-hour gym, showered there, changed there, and then we went out and hung out with CEOs of Fortune 500 companies all day. That's that it's like these crazy stories, they sound super anomalistic, but I'm telling you, you do some research and googling, you will find some crazy things you would never expect to hear. So, I really want to harp on the resourcefulness and the attitude collectively of this generation. You want to know something even crazier? I think we end racism. I think that we're the last generation that has prejudice in that way. I'm such a believer in because of our worldview and because of our access to our phone that we know that the color of your skin doesn't mean shit. Yeah. It means nothing. And we, we see through that. And we see through all of those old ways of thinking and, and how things used to be. Because 
if we're going to have to live in this world, we want to make it a better place. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, well, you know, one, one thing that you just said about ending racism, you know, obviously, you know, my whole, uh, my whole focus on changing the global conversation about how people view and treat addicts with yeah. compassion instead of judgment. And there's a lot of young people that are struggling with addiction. And when it comes to racism, uh, you know, right now the criminal justice system is treating addicts instead of a more compassionate industry. And I can't even say, um, I can't even say the medical industry per se would be the right industry because here we are in Ohio, which I believe has the highest uh, opiate uh, overdoses yep. of any state in the U.S. And the thing with drug laws and the way that they're currently done is there's no way. I had a former uh, mayor of a, of a, you know, one of the largest cities in the United States say there's no, he told me, he's a friend of mine, I'm not going to name the city because I don't want to have, yeah. I don't want to have him get an attack. Um, he, he basically said that there's no way to, to, uh, ever fairly enforce drug laws without making it a racial, a racial issue. And wow. Because, uh, you know, inner city, um, kids in inner cities and ghettos tend to have, um, you know, more minorities than, you know, wealthier areas. And when they will do drug busts, they focus on where, you know, people are yeah. not going to pay to get out or, uh, you know, I, and so it's always going to be a race issue as long as there's these drug laws. And it's, it's very fascinating. If anyone's ever read, uh, Chasing the Scream, the first and last days of the war on drugs, you know, where you hear about what actually started the, the, the drug war, which is a guy named Harry Anslinger, um, back in the early 1900s, who was a, a huge racist. And so much of racism today is actually because of the way we have drug laws. Oh, for sure. And so if you're, you know, as, as Gen Z's, if you're going to end racism, there's a lot of things that are going to have to be changed. And policy, I, I got, I know this kid, uh, Zayad Ahmed, um, and he, he, his big thing, he runs a Gen Z consultancy and his big thing is he says Gen Z deserves a seat at the table. And I used to think that was bullshit and, and I am Gen Z and I thought it was bullshit. But then I realized we like old people mess up everything. Yeah. What, is, that, is that like a freaking ice machine in your yeah, yeah, okay, you. All right, okay. it's gone now. Right. But <laughs> old, I, I was listening to this guy talk, and he's and it was actually a comedian, and I forget the comedian. He's saying old people start wars, old people kill people, old people do all these shitty things, and yet we always shit on young people. And yeah. and and I go, oh my god, like he's joking, but all the best jokes contain true shit, right. and that was some real stuff. So the more opinions, and the more seats that we can get at the table for real diverse thought is um is the goal is my is my one of my biggest goals in mind yeah well you know it's um boy how so david bowie had a song that i used to listen to um in high school called uh, changes and you know i used to love david bowie and one of the lyrics uh, in Changes were, and these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to your consultations. They're quite aware of what they're going through. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think that's just as relevant today as it was, you know, when I listened to that when I was, uh, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, you know. All, all generations want this. I, I think that all generations want the same things, aspire the same things. It's just 
the way that they get there and how they talk about it is is the difference. Mm. And how quickly they get there and talk about it is the difference. Gotcha. So what are the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make when, when your, your whole thing about marketing to them is interesting because I always think of marketing as storytelling. So I think you can always do marketing to any group of people because you tell a story, right? And how you frame that story. And when I say tell, it could be tell, present, yeah. feature, whatever, invite. Um, but you know, what are the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make when selling, marketing, and communicating with Gen Z, and what should they do? Assuming that they care, um, you have to tie into things that they already care about, or make something cool enough that they do. This is a classic example. I was I was in a meeting with uh, I won't say the company, but they're a Fortune 50 telecom company, and I was like, "Hey, the CEO is sitting there, and he goes." What do you, so what do you think of our brand? And I go, well, it's bad. It's dry. You're not. And he goes, that's an understatement. He goes, this is shit. He goes, what do we do? And he goes, how do we become cool and relevant and all those things you talk about? And I go, well, no one really gives a shit. I, you know, I'll just say it. No one cares about Sprint. No one cares about Sprint. This is like two or three years ago. No one cares about Sprint. But you know what people care about is how how to make their life easier and give them actionable insights in their day-to-day life. So what we did was we created this campaign called Live Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Tell us how you live unlimited. What does it mean to you? Inviting, create, so there's two parts of it. Not only are we inviting an entire generation to take part of this collective message of like live unlimited, like be yourself, like screw everything up, like all the things I was talking about earlier, but we're also inspiring user-generated content. USG is... That's how you create culture. If you get people to talk about something that's associated with you on your behalf, that breeds more engagement and people sharing it and creating their own versions of it, you can't lose that. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot, if you create culture, it doesn't matter what the end result is because you can't lose from a brand awareness standpoint. I love it. Love it. Very helpful. So, so what are some good examples or maybe companies that, um, you know, people listening to this should pay attention to that are really effective with Gen Zers. So there's a company called Dirty Lemon. Um, I would really, really, really go check out Dirty Lemon. It's, it's very hard to articulate and explain, but it's like one of the cultural trends I was talking about. The aesthetic, the aesthetic in the feel is freaking everything now. Like I can say all these campaigns do all this stuff, but a big part about Gen Z specifically is they want to, they want to, so quick example, uh, we worked with Johnson and Johnson on, uh, this product line directly aimed at Gen Z called CNC by clean and clear. One of the first questions they asked me, what do you think about the coloring? I said, matte black, matte black, bright, yeah, matte. You think we're playing drums here? Cause you yeah. on I, the color. Okay. <laughs> I talk with my hands. It's, it's matte black with bright colors. Yeah. There's something about the aesthetic that makes you want to share it to, to be cooler. Mm. And I think that in a digitally focused world, if you go the opposite way, and you said something earlier it's, that I thought was cool that I say a lot, tying in physical with digital. I don't even, I wouldn't even look at it as tying in physical into digital because even when you say that, you're still figuring out how to tie it into digital. So I've, with my clients, I 100% focus on physical and then how you let young people figure out how, because here's the thing, young people are going to share whatever it is regardless. So you give them the keys to tell the story on their behalf. 
They've grown up on these platforms. They know all this stuff. They're going to tell the story in the way that suits them best. Then, so if you're only focusing on the physical aspects and you just let them tell the story, then it's a home run. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. So due to timing, um, I just want to get into some of what you do and a couple other things, and then you're going to take mass to the airport. <laughs> so what does your uh, consulting arm, YouthLogic, do? So we help brands better understand, relate to, and engage young people. And a lot of that is honestly, so I, I say this all the time. People say, Connor, what do you do? And I say, if you're the Cleveland Browns, you're playing the New England Patriots, and you're down, you're down by two points in the fourth quarter with 30 seconds left. You've got the ball on the other teams, on the other teams 20. What you're supposed to do is line up, line up, line up for a field goal, kick it, win the game. What a lot of brands do is they have the right intent. They line up to kick the field goal. When they kick the field goal, a gust of wind comes in from the right and it goes wide right and they lose. So what Youth Logic helps brands do is stay on the course of authenticity, trueness, and culture by making sure that the ball goes through the uprights and that gust of wind doesn't come in. Because the reason that I struggle when you ask me, name a brand that's really resonating with young people. It's because not a lot of them do. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, and that is an issue. Um, and I think I think about how we do that with brands, and um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so you're you're a big reader. You're a big studier. Uh, you know, our buddy Harvey McKay. You're doing a lot of stuff with Harvey. He's in his 80s. Freaking <laughs> yeah. guy keeps going. I mean, this guy's got more energy than I'd freaking. be on a beach, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's he's a character. Yeah. Uh, but you know, what what advice do you give to young people to develop themselves? Self belief to the point of people thinking you're crazy. Following you, following your in, intuition to the point of your detriment. That's mm. what it takes. And that's the learning curve that it takes. If I would have followed, yeah, you know what? Screw that. I did. I did follow. Like, I'm still learning to trust it more, but I, I had people call me crazy. I lost friends. I got kicked out of high school. I quit sports that I loved. I, all of these things purely based on my intuition. I was having a conversation with my dad the other day and I go, I was saying at 14 years old, 14, I had nothing. This is right out of the depression. After I watched the first Cameron video, I was like, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 20. I'm going to work with Pepsi. I'm going to do all, I'm going to meet all these crazy people. My dad, he goes, Connor, I always believed in you, but that was some crazy shit. I was like, <laughs> I was, he goes, Connor, like, I, I was like, oh, maybe he'll get dip his foot into the entrepreneurship stuff and do all of these things. I've gotten screaming matches with my parents every night of high school because my teachers were calling them, yelling at them that I wasn't doing homework and was working during class. And then they'd yell and scream at me. Hmm. And my dad actually recently apologized to me and said, I should have listened to you and your intuition. I let all the outside shit clog who you really were. Your own family, your best friends, everyone who you think is going to know you best is going to shit on you to the point that you're going to question everything about yourself. You need to have the blinders on, say, fuck that and just keep going. And to a lot of, a lot of parents are going to be listening to this and be like, I know what's best for my kid. No, you don't. You know what's safest for your kid. You know what's the most natural path for them to go down. So I, I, I told my dad, I said, dad, you're my dad and I love you. But at this point, you're a consultant. You, you can't make decisions, <laughs> decisions for me anymore. But I think a lot of parents need to take a step back and, um, and take that to heart. I, I had a very dear friend and mentor pass away recently, Mark Hoverson. Yeah, he was a mutual yeah, friend. Yeah, and yeah, I knew Mark. I, Mark, really Mark, 
I can I can say this in full confidence is probably top three of the greatest human beings I've ever met. And I, and I, I met him after he was diagnosed with cancer and stuff. And, and I never knew because he never talked about it, told me until, no, until a couple years, a couple years after I met him. And I just sent him a message and I said, I love you, dude. Like I did. And this is like way before he passed. And he goes, you found out that I was diagnosed with cancer, didn't you? And I go, I did. Someone told me and I, I, it, it really made me think and reconsider all these positions. And the reason I bring up Mark is because I watch how he parents his kids. Yeah, he has his, four children. Yeah, his four. The, on the, I'm telling you, like, there should be a documentary about his kids, dude. They are unbelievable. They're the most self-sufficient, amazing, loving kids ever. So, Mark, I'm not, I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to say it or not, but I think it's a great lesson for everyone. Mark smoked weed all the time in his last, his last year. He definitely wouldn't care me saying this. He smoked weed all the time, all the time. And what we're sitting, we're sitting at his kitchen. And he, and he was telling me, uh, as he, what he was smoking, he was talking about how he parents his kids and how Jesus, he was a very religious man. He, he said, Jesus didn't treat everyone as their equal. Who am I as a parent to put myself above my kids? All I can do is bestow the things I've learned, my wisdom to them and give them what I believe is the right moral pathway for them to go down and let them take control. And that it hit like that hit me, like just watching how amazing he was as a person, like Everyone should Google Mark Overson and just like try to just watch some shit because I don't know that it had a very profound impact on me. And I, I obviously haven't had kids, so I can't talk about parenting or like right. how to do any of that stuff. But I can talk about what I think I wish my parents would have done differently. Do you still feel like a teenager since according to your age, you still are all the time, dude, like I like Older people and business friends ask me this all the time because they'll always see me traveling or working. Like this summer, I traveled one time. All my friends were home from college. I was like, I want to party with my friends and travel with my friends and spend time with people I love, care about, and have my back and grew up with. Mm -hmm. And you said something in the beginning of the interview, which I thought was interesting. You were like, uh, all these young entrepreneurs who like maybe you only hang out with now. So I have like two different sects of friend, friend groups. Like I have, my boys from the time I was in like the eighth grade were like, I consider them like family, like my brothers, they work at Dairy Queen and are broke college students and are like, they're going to be lawyers. And like, they're totally opposite of me. But like, I champion that shit. I'm like, go do that. Go be a lawyer, go dominate, go run your dad's company. Like I want that for them, their version of success and what they want. Who am I to say that that's not right? Cause it's not like me. I want them to go after it and get it in any way I can support them to do it. They can't. Then I also have the young entrepreneur sex. I'm saying S E C T S, not sex, but sex, <laughs> um, of individuals. And they're, they're just as amazing. I consider them like family too. It's just, I have two, two different sides. I'm a Gemini. I got two different sides of me. I, get, <laughs> I hang out, I hang out with my personal friends and mess around. And I, not to say I don't mess around with my entrepreneurship friends, because when I'm a lot older and richer and, and can say a lot more things, I'll, I'll tell those, <laughs> tell those stories. <laughs> That's great. Well, I, I remember, do you remember the conversation when you were asking me if you should stay in high school or not? We were trying to. Oh my God. Dude, I, I called, so it's junior year and I get out of a meeting with my principal and the president of the school and, and I, this is when I got kicked out for the first time for traveling for business. Uh, and, and I called Joe and I was just like, dude, I am so mentally fucked right now. Like burn, and I say burnout, like real. I was working every day from the time I was 14 to 17 from 6 a.m. until like one in the morning. 
five hours sleep, wake up for school, go work all day at school. Didn't even look at my, we were allowed to have computers in class. So I was just burnt out, sick of the bullshit system, sick of everyone telling me I couldn't do what I wanted when I was trying to follow my intuition and say, screw everyone else. And I just called Joe and was like, dude, what do, what do I do? Here? <laughs> what do I do here? <laughs> and I, hopefully I gave you good advice. No, it was great. It was great advice. And it led me, your advice led me to getting kicked out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I did get kicked out for traveling for business my junior year. And then I got kicked out again senior year uh, for traveling for business. Yeah, you well. know, it's one of those tough things too, because it's like on one hand, you were telling me about what's going on with the school, what's going on with your parents, what's going on with you. And I'm sitting there, you know, trying to give you a frame of reference of what everyone is experiencing and also doing the same thing that's going to best serve you and having to, you know, knowing that there's not any perfect solution or any right way to do stuff. And, and you know, knowing that you have all this resistance, including your own obsessions and all of this yeah. craziness, which, you know, and I, like when I was in high school, I was a drug addict. I mean, I didn't know how to fit in. I didn't, you know, so I numbed myself yeah. with drugs. So, I mean, you certainly have made far better decisions at your age <laughs> in terms of than what I was doing. But the thing is, I mean, you know, a lot of times parents will see their kids and they will so disagree with where they're at and it won't make any sense to them. And I mean, I, I just honest to God think the best you can do is just love and support yep. as best you can. And, you know, knowing uh, if you try to hold on to something so tightly, uh, you can crush it and, you know, don't, yeah. don't handicap your children by making their lives too easy. Um, but at the same time, don't handicap your children by trying to make their lives so freaking hard. And, you know, there's, a, there is a medium with a lot of this and, you know, mm -hmm. you, you know, there's this, uh, there's, it's, it's, it's complex, but if people would have looked back at me, uh, at your age, there never would have been, you know, they probably would have guessed I would have been dead, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I give my parents so, so, so much credit, um, for my, they never said no. Yeah. They said, do this instead. Yeah. And you can't, yeah, they did. They just said, do this instead. Don't do this. Do this. This is the, this is the better idea. And I believed them and I did it. And, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So we, we'll have to do some quick ones here. Rapid uh, fire. Yeah. Any action steps you'd recommend that our, our entrepreneurs, which are most people that listen to my stuff, start, uh, I mean, connecting with yeah. more Gen Z and millennial attention and, you know, just. Yeah. So, uh, this is actually the fourth pillar that I kind of forgot about. And, and it kind of goes into everything. Hip hop music. If you want to pay attention to culture, what matters to young people, go, go read complex every day. Mm. Go, go read complex every day. Spend time in Twitter search and just look at what's trending. Young people are creating all of their culture on Twitter. Actually focus on meme culture. Those are funny frames of reference for you to talk to young consumers. I would also, I got this one from Gary Vaynerchuk a couple of years ago. Every morning while you're taking a shit, go, go <laughs> scroll through the app store and look at the top grossing and trending apps. That's how you'll see what's going to pop next. Even if it's like 49 or 50, like follow your intuition on what's going to climb. So those are just some quick hitters. Does one have to be taking a shit while they're doing that? No, no, you can go number two too. Okay. Well, or number one, whichever one's your favorite. Yeah, well, but you have to be using the restroom. You have to be in the bathroom. All yeah. the greatest things come in the bathroom. The shower, <laughs> the toilet, brush your teeth. That is comedy. Um, so you've done some stuff with, uh, Mark Cuban. So what's one or two things you like about that dude? So, um, I'm a big fan. I, I truly, Kanye said it recently. Words get in the way of communication. Words complement communication. Mark Cuban has an infectious energy around him that makes you want to elevate. And I can't really explain what that means more than that. But that, that's probably the biggest thing about him. When I'm around him, I'm just like, Damn, bro. Like, I want to like, like, 
be a beast. Like yeah. he's just a beast. Like he, a hunger mindset of learning all the time. Like I've, I've spent some time around him and with him. And like, that's my biggest takeaway. It's there's this guy named Charlie walk, former CEO of Republic records and guests on the floor. I've gotten to spend a lot of time with him recently. Same thing. It's the energy. Yeah. Um, the energy is transferable. So the more time I spend around people, I try to emulate that kind of energy. Um, but Mark is like, I love that he's just unapologetic and doesn't really care like what other people say, maybe even to his own detriment. Sometimes I feel like everyone does that. And maybe he'll look back and be like, ah, I shouldn't have said that just like everyone else does. Yeah. I think everyone has that. Yeah. At least people that are doing anything in the world, you know, what, what's the whole thing. There was uh, that, that whole cliche. There's a, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's few statues that were, uh, ever erected to critics, but there were, uh, there's <laughs> no one that's ever had a statue erected that wasn't highly criticized. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what's, um, where should people go to learn more about you and work with you if they want to? So, uh, my Instagram is at King Connor and my website is connorblakely.com. Um, just drop, drop me a note on there, whether it's, you want to say what's up, advice, Anything I'm not going to sell you unless you're a Fortune 1000 company. So um, you can you can then you're going to sell the then, shit out. Then I'm huh? selling the shit out of you. I'll just tell you right now. If you're a Fortune 1000, I'm coming after you. <laughs> but um, I, I'm I'm really just happy to help and uh, create value in, in really any way I can. So um, uh, even if it's a hot, you want you you want my advice on something regarding business, personal life. You don't know how to talk to your son who's entrepreneur. Like I'm seriously any way I can help or contribute um, to your life. Let me know. Awesome, man. Well, great. Well, you know, uh, I would love to go further, but we're going to keep that for the yeah. panel at our annual event. If Which you, you all need to go to and sign up for. Yeah, well, uh, go to GeniusNetworkEvents.com if you are not signed up already, if you want to check that out. This is not a cheap event. This is the highest level marketing event uh, and industry transformer event in the world. It's going to be amazing. And uh, yeah, one of the things that me and Connor with a group of amazing young people are going to do is mind-blowing. So GeniusNetworkEvents.com. I'll probably do another episode with you, Connor, talking about things that we talked about before doing this, which is yeah. about how do you, what do you do about people that you offer your networks to and you connect with and then they go around and they screw you or how, you know, where's integrity come in and how do you navigate the whole business world, the good oh, yeah. and the bad, good, bad, and the ugly. So all good stuff. And so. with the Tony quote you told me. Yeah. You're either winning or you're learning. You're either winning or you're learning. Yeah. So go, go, uh, go win or at least learn something right now. Thanks, Connor. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of I Love Marketing. If you'd like to learn more about the Genius Network annual event, go to GeniusNetworkEvents.com. That's GeniusNetworkEvents.com. If you would like access to the complete presentation, the show notes, the links, and the special resources for this episode, please visit ILoveMarketing.com forward slash 338. That's ILoveMarketing.com forward slash 338.